Hello and welcome to Threadbare, the Fountaining podcast and I am your host G.K. Rao. In this edition, we will be focusing on the situation in Gaza. If you are wondering why only Gaza, that is because of war that Israel declared after the October 7 slaughter of its people by the terrorist group Hamas is being fought in Gaza. It's a scene of relentless bombing by the Israeli Air Force for the last two weeks. It is hard to say how many people have been killed, but it is clear that anyone in the inhabited areas is under constant threat of death or injury. The latest reports say that the Israel Defense Force has begun its ground offensive, but there is not much information available. What we do know is mostly from reports and dispatches from the killing field. Here is Abdul Rahman Amar, a Ghazan, summing up his experience to an Al Jazeera correspondent. We die slowly every single day. In another context far from violence, it might serve as an interesting philosophical proposition or the reflections of a soul uncertain of that fate. But for Abdul Rahman, it is an exact description of Gaza today. After the Hamas attacks in southern Israel killed more than 1400 men, women, children and kidnapped hundreds of people from southern Israel across the border. Are you a kidney patient suffering from renal failure who requires dialysis every couple of days? Good luck and God help you. The hospitals certainly can't. They are running out of supplies, those that haven't already done so. They don't have power to run operation theatres as the Israeli government cut it after the Hamas strike. The sole plant in Gaza ran out of fuel on October 11. Clean water is at a premium after supply was suspended on October 10, but Israeli sources say it was resumed in part on October 15. Nevertheless, if any hospital has survived the relentless bombing of the last three weeks, it is crowded to suffocation. People have nowhere else to go and many of them are dying either from injuries sustained in the bombing or because they were already ill to begin with. Now there is probably a natural triage being conducted, perhaps on the basis of the medicine available for treatment or because a patient is too far gone for treatment or even because there is simply no place for them. We are forced to assume these scenarios because communications are down as internet services have been disrupted. The Palestine Red Crescent Society in a statement last Friday said, We have completely lost contact with the operations room in Gaza Strip and all our teams operating there due to the Israeli authorities cutting off all landline, cellular and internet communications. So if people are ill or dying of cholera or dysentery, we don't know. If they are dying for lack of food or water, we don't know. If there is sudden upsurge of death by natural causes, we don't know that either. The one thing we do know is that this siege or quarantine or whatever you want to call it, continues to take the lives of civilians for the most part. The numbers are anybody's guess, though there is a conscious attempt to count the dead and injured. But there is another number, imprecise as everything is in the fog of war, that may be roughly accurate.
Over 10 lakh people, about half the population of the Gaza Strip, have been displaced from home and familiar surroundings after the Israeli government ordered them to leave the city or face the peril to come. So, there they are, adrift like sand across the desert, women, children, elderly, families and lone individuals as the bombs rain around them. They don't know if they live to tell the tale, but the Israeli government has left them no choice. So what does Israel intend to do? Hamas was the initial precipitator with its raids into southern Israel, but the initiative now is in Israeli hands. Here is the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu spelling out what Gaza can expect. Israel is at war. We didn't want this war. It was forced upon us in the most brutal and savage way. But though Israel didn't start this war, Israel will finish it. Once the Jewish people were stateless, once the Jewish people were defenseless, no longer. Hamas will understand that by attacking us, they've made a mistake of historic proportions. We will exact a price that will be remembered by them and Israel's other enemies for decades to come. Even this statement is not exactly clear. All we heard was, we will exact a price that they will remember for decades to come. It is obviously an announcement that Hamas will be destroyed. Has this bombing of Gaza City and other locations along the Strip degraded its capacity to hurt Israel? Undoubtedly so. Is it likely though that Hamas was caught unawares? Extremely unlikely. For everyone in the territories is aware of Israel's capacity for asymmetric damage in case of an attack on its facilities or its people. The United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs estimates that in the period 2008 to 2020, 5,600 Palestinians died, while 115,000 were injured. About 250 Israelis died during the same period, while 5,600 were injured. So it's an approximately 20 to 1 death rate. Indeed, there are even jokes and quizzes about it in an example of Palestinian black humor. But if you count since the first Nakba or catastrophe of 1948, the ratio varies from one defeat to the next. They know the outcome, but they remain defiant. One question that needs to be asked is is not if it is possible to defeat Hamas, but what happens after they do that? It is virtually impossible to destroy a guerrilla army. But is that going to solve the Palestine issue? At this point, the one military option is to flatten the entire territory, expel the Gazans, occupy the land, and eventually seed it with quasi-military colonies of settlers. It is one way to ensure that Hamas will never set foot in southern Israel again. Whether it will ensure security for Israel is not certain, as the same Hamas could take root in the West Bank territory. But this would involve war crimes and crimes against humanity that surpass even the Rwanda genocide. And yes, it would exactly be genocide. The Israeli government seems to be in that kind of mood. 
even if it doesn't achieve the aim, crippling Hamas for the foreseeable future. To do that, even if it doesn't commit war crimes, it will have to widen the war to Syria, Lebanon, where Hamas's Shia brother Hezbollah is based, even Iran, which is the ultimate backer of both. There are others, including Qatar, possibly even Saudi Arabia. That is a bridge too far, perhaps, as there are allies to be consulted in such an adventure. But no one at this moment is examining the one potentially durable option. The ghost at every gathering to discuss peace, a two-state solution. The US is the one power capable of forcing Israel to exercise restraint as it moves on its dangerous course. If, after flattening Gaza, it widens the war, it risks setting the entire Middle East on fire, destroying any chance of the general rapprochement that was the object of the Abraham Accords agreed in President Donald Trump's term. So far, there is little sign of President Joseph Biden trying to hold back Israel after an initial warning not to succumb to blind rage. The brutality of Hamas, these bloodthirstiness brings to mind the worst, the worst rampages of ISIS. This is terrorism. But sadly, for the Jewish people, it's not new. So in this moment, we must be crystal clear. We stand with Israel. We stand with Israel. Biden might yet prove to be a prophet. But for the rest, there is a decided slant towards Israel. Indeed, his Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, even asked the government in Qatar to rein in the Al Jazeera news portal. It has provided wall-to-wall coverage of the situation in Gaza and the result is disturbing. If even half of what Al Jazeera reports is true, Israel is prima facie guilty of war crimes. This is being corroborated by reputed media organizations like Reuters, the New York Times, Time Magazine, The Guardian and The Washington Post, among others. They report more or less the same thing. Relentless strikes, mostly civilian dead and injured, civic facilities being bombed out of existence along with apartment blocks in schools. But none of them seems willing to say the words, however. The furthest they will go is on the road to whataboutery. This is Israel's biggest advantage in the struggle to control the narrative. But it may be slipping now as the war grinds on. This is only the second phase, so the next one could be worse. It's possible the word won't be so charitable then. Apparently, even the friendliest media has limits. UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez has tried to add some nuance to the issue. It is important to also recognize the attacks by Hamas did not happen in a vacuum. The Palestinian people have been subjected to 56 years of suffocating occupation. They have seen their land steadily devoured by settlements and plagued by violence, their economy stifled, their people displaced, and their homes demolished. Their hopes for a political solution to their plight 
have been vanishing. But the grievances of the Palestinian people cannot justify the appalling attacks by Hamas, and those appalling attacks cannot justify the collective punishment of the Palestinian people. Now let's go back to the origins of this tragedy. In the words of Arthur Kessler, one nation solemnly promised to a second nation the country of a third. For precision, dry wit and accuracy, there are few descriptions that can better Kessler's description. It encapsulates in 15 words the struggle of the Jews for a homeland, the promised land. But this promise was made by Arthur Balfour, UK's Foreign Secretary in 1917 to Lord Walter Rothschild. At the time, the Holy Land, as it is called by the devout, was part of the Ottoman Empire. There were many twists and turns, violence, murder and holocaust, but in 1948, the State of Israel came into being. Of all the reasons, the most important was the mass murder of 6 million Jews across Europe. Although it was Nazi Germany that showed the way, those two centers of the Enlightenment, France and Italy, were also culpable. Some 75,000 French Jews were sent to the death camps, while Italy sent over 7,000 to the camps. But the Italian state also stripped Jews of rights like schools for children and they were forbidden to marry outside the community. Central Europe, Europe and Eastern Europe were charnel houses, so Jews needed a place of their own. That is where the Balfour Declaration came in handy, allowing them to settle in a place they considered their homeland, even though it was already occupied by the people we know as Palestinians. Some 700,000 of them were displaced almost overnight losing their properties, their businesses, their country to Israel. This, in extreme brief, is the root of the problem and until it is settled in the manner that Palestinians feel provides a measure of justice, the tragedy will continue. At this moment, however, death is the only thing on everyone's mind, victim, perpetrator and bystander.